Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally, not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. Welcome to Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. This is Dr. Dan. Freedom Forum Radio is for you, faithful listeners. No matter who you voted for or what political party you belong to, Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is not about politics. It's about principle. It's not about candidates. It's about conscience and the Constitution. Like the name implies, this is a program about freedom, individual freedom, your freedom, where it comes from, what it means to you, and most importantly, how to hang on to it. You're listening to Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. We pick up right now where we left off last week with Dr. Michael Kaufman. The EPA is so corrupt, is so absolutely and totally corrupt, that they are causing trillions of dollars worth of damage to our economy. When I say trillions, that is backed up with hard numbers of damage based on nothing but hot air. Now, that's quite a statement. I would not have said that a month ago um, because I, I didn't have the evidence. We now have the evidence to know that the EPA has been so absolutely corrupt that they have controlled the process. And let me give, just give you a little background of what I found. Back in 1988, a guy was hired by the name of John Beale. He had never had any environmental experience before. He was an attorney. He'd gone from job to job. He even described himself in his criminal trial as being a nomad. He didn't like to stay in any one place very long. But he was brilliant, absolutely brilliant in a horrible way, of actually getting things done and blocking actions on other people's part to stop him from doing what he wants to do. He was put in charge of implementing clean air and water. And what he basically did is that he took a group of studies. Some of these studies were done by environmental organizations like the Sierra Club. Had no peer review whatsoever. One was done by Harvard, but it still it was immediately attacked. It had no peer review when it came out. And it was already 15 years old by the time he used it to show that Somehow, if you actually did have ozone in the atmosphere or particulate matter in the atmosphere, then you cause this X number of cancer uh, deaths and other things that is a health restriction. Now, none of us want to die of cancer. So if these things are really happening, we should control them, right? Well, there was no evidence. These studies, that he only used two studies. And then he set up a system in which... He prevented, he became the gatekeeper 
that no one, even within the EPA, was allowed to look at that data, to analyze it, to check it, to see if it was actually correct. He just developed these air, these things out of air, thin air. You know, 90 parts per billion of ozone is too much. Then it became 85 parts or 84 parts. Now it's 75. Now they're looking down to go down to 60 parts per billion. That caused increased cancer and so forth. And yet they have not one statistic, hard statistic, to back that up. None. Zero. And what basically happened is, by they're called NACs. You've heard the word NACs before. You said, well, what is that? I don't want to know anything about NACs. It's, it's, it's an acronym, N-A-A-Q-S. It basically is the standards by which industry, what your automobiles and so forth, have to meet in order to be compliant with ozone, particulate matter, uh, sulfur dioxide emissions, nitrous uh, oxide emissions, and so forth. All of these are controlled by NAC's standards. And they're created, the standards are created because of these two studies that John Beale did and, or used that had no, anybody to basically, um, uh, analyze them to see if there is any evidence to suggest that these things are bad. And what he did is he shut it down. He would not allow anyone in. Then when he began to be tested, what he did is he created what he calls the, the, um, um, sue and settle. He, the EPA, he was, he was not the administrator of the EPA. He wasn't even in the, a director's position, but he, he walked on water within the EPA, according to everyone that's in the EPA. He could do no wrong. And what he basically was, then did is develop a sue and settle technique in which he worked with closely with environmental organizations, like the Sierra Club or, or any number one of them, uh, NRDC and so forth, to let them sue the EPA, and the EPA would respond very quickly and, and acquiesce and say, yes, you're right, we did violate this provision of the Clean Air Act or Clean Water Act or whatever the case might be. So we will implement new regulations that will take care of that in order to meet the conditions of the court trial and then pay the actual suing environmental organization millions of dollars worth of legal fees. What a scam! And what happened was that because of the fact that it's a court-directed activity that the EPA had to do, they immediately jumped on it, not allowing anyone else to check their data to see if it was even needed. And so now the emergency need because of the court decision was driving the policy and keeping people from even evaluating the data. It was unbelievable. And literally, these NACs regulations have are costing us trillions of dollars a year. Trillions of dollars a year. This is unbelievable. And there is no evidence to, need, to say that we even need them at all. I'm sure there's some, but uh, we haven't found it yet. In fact, what really gets to me, and this is, I think, the core of what... I put in my articles, is that the um, James River Associates, James is a consulting firm, an economic consulting firm, they were so frustrated with this that they could not get the raw data out of the EPA to check and validate what they were saying, that they recreated the whole conditions themselves. They literally went out and spilt millions of dollars 
determining whether or not the EPA numbers were even close to reality. And what they found was, in the ozone at least, there is no connection whatsoever, none, zero, zippo, that the EPA standards were so close to zero. I mean, what I'm saying is that the the, the impact of particulate matter, ozone, and so forth on people's health was cl- so close to zero that it was not measurable. It literally was not measurable. Yeah. And yet here the EPA is saying that if you have 60 parts per billion of ozone out there, you're going to cause this many deaths due to cancer and other uh, lung failures and so forth. And they are in bed with different organizations, the Cancer Society and so forth, that are promoting this from a different direction. We're seeing all this come from different directions. It must be right, right? If the Cancer Society is saying that, it must be right. They're getting paid for by the EPA to do that. uh, You cannot cannot say enough words to describe the horrendous corruption that's going on in the EPA. It's just beyond belief. It's basically an entity in itself, and it's destroying this nation, as you kind of just described, Dr. Dan, uh, in in what it's doing in the policies, that is the regulations that it's forming. Another thing that is horrifying, horrifying with this sue and settle, is that the environmental organization sues the EPA. The EPA immediately responds. I mean, this is just months. This is not years or anything. This is months. And begins to change the regulations. The meantime, the Constitution of the United States basically says that these rules should be implemented by the states, not the EPA and not the federal government. And what they're doing, basically, by doing this, is circumventing the state's rights. Totally, totally, absolutely totally. The states might find out about it when it's finally posted in the federal register that there are these new regulations coming out. By that time, it's too late. If they really understand it and tumble onto it before, just John Beale, same guy, blocks them from being able to actually have be involved in the court case whatsoever. Uh, it has been that what that basically says is it destroys states' rights in the process that's guaranteed by the Constitution of the United States. I, I could I do not have words strong enough to condemn the EPA for this. Every one of them should be fired. Half of them probably should be sent to jail. We have to take a quick commercial break. More with Dr. Michael Kaufman right after this. Well, you know, as scientists, both you and I understand what peer review is all about. I mean, I have written uh, 14 peer-reviewed medical uh, articles. These articles were sent out to a half a dozen other physicians who reviewed them, who came back and said, this is not correct, you need to give documentation for that. And they hold your feet to the fire and say, you have to prove with empirical data Everything that you put in this article and your conclusions have to be drawn from the data that you provide. One of the best examples talking about this whole climate change, global warming thing is that hockey stick graph. Yes. I mean, all of a sudden, all the data there, the original data is just not existent anymore. It's just all gone and lost. Well, I don't think there's much question, certainly not in my mind and probably not in your mind, where that data is. It's probably uh, in the trash can where it belongs. Well, even if it's, if it's not, even if it doesn't belong there, I mean, it is data, and it has its own validity in itself. The trouble is what they've done, and they showed this with NOAA data, uh, the National Oceanographic and um, Atmospheric Administration. 
that's the one the United States, that's the data set the United States uses to prove global warming's happened. What they did is they were able to get some of that raw data out of the NOAA. Uh, the NOAA has refused to let it out uh, for decades. But they got some of that data, and what they found was that if you actually plotted the data itself, the raw data, there is no such thing as global warming. It hasn't happened. Uh, yes, we've had some warmer periods and cooler periods. I don't think anybody denies that. But what has happened is that the NOAA, under the uh, the excuse that they have to adjust this data for uh, site location uh, and other things and, and so forth, they have created these algorithms in order to smooth out the data and, and make it more usable. That's what other scientists are allowed to use is this already manipulated data. And when you plot that data out compared to the actual raw data, what you find is that during the early part of the 20th century up until the 1970s, is it depresses the temperature of the United States tremendously during that period of time, almost a degree. And then by the time you start getting into the late 1980s and 90s, all of a sudden it's way above what the raw data show, showing a very steep uh, evidence of strong global warming during that period of time, which is not real. It is not real. So we have not only the EPA that is fudging this data, but you have other federal agencies as well that are actually imp are fudging this data to come to actually produce preconceived uh, results that will allow them to take more control over private property rights in the people in the United States. Well, outside this studio right now, it's probably about 85, uh, 86 degrees. The sun is out. There's nice clouds in the sky. But 400 million years ago, there was a glacier exactly yeah. where I'm sitting. Yeah. And so I know that climate change does exist, um, and we all know that it does exist. Uh, the fallacy, of course, is that we have anything to do with it as human beings or that we could even change right. it no matter what we do. You know, I'd like to I'd like to go on with a you raised a point in some of our previous discussions that really interest me, and that had to do with the Bureau of Land Management. Uh, another thing which really shouldn't exist, since the Constitution gives the federal government ten square miles in Washington D.C. post roads and post offices, how they end up owning vast billions of square miles of land is beyond me as far as i'm concerned it's unconstitutional but let's talk about the bureau of land management and the bundy ranch standoff how did yes. how did the us forest service uh, how did that all evolve into that paramilitary group that they appear to be at this point you know i worked for the forest service back in the 1970s so they weren't paramilitary then they were a good group of people wanting to do the right thing with our nation's force. Now, there's always tension between the Forest Service or the BLM and the landowner. Always going to be tension because they have different goals. Uh, but recently, it's become a, a, almost a war between them. And the reason why, now, if you go back, let me use the example of England and France that I used in the first hour. We had the Magna Carta with England that allowed the private, the small or individual person the right to own land. In France, they could not own land. And as a consequence, uh, the French economy was in the dumps, and the English economy, or the British economy, was flourishing. Well, the same thing happens here in the United States. 
the founding fathers recognized the importance of private property rights towards wealth creation that we talked about in that first hour. What happens is that they developed the Constitution in a way that would not allow the federal government to control our own land except for certain cases, and they're well spelled out. There's, there's I think, 18 cases where uh, the federal government can actually own land, and none of them allows them to own massive blocks of land. <clears throat> Nothing like we have right now. But what happened was that the progressives of the 19th century could not stand this. It was it violated every uh, nerve ending of their body. They had to have land belong to the federal government. Up until that time in which we begin to block out land west of the Rocky Mountains, what we saw was that the land was divided up and sold, either sold to the state or given to the state more often, which then immediately turned around and sold it to private developers and so forth to build up the economy. And it worked beautifully for all the states west of the Rocky Mountains. And what happened was, that was part of the, what's called the Northwest Ordinance, which would have been Ohio, Illinois, uh, Indiana, and so forth. The Northwest Ordinance, which was written before the Articles of uh, the Constitution of the United States, and then adopted into the Constitution of the United States, said that every state should enter the Union on an equal footing. Well, in other words, they had to be allowed to have ownership of their land in that state when they became a state. <laughs> this was not tolerable for the progressives of the day. And they began to manipulate things, just like they're doing right now, make it sound something totally different. And the thing that really did help them in that process was the Homestead Act of 1864. The Homestead Act of 1864 allowed this mass migration to the West where a family could develop 64, I'm sorry, 164 acres, I think it is. It's a small amount. And, and Homestead is a farm. Well, you get in Nebraska and you get into uh, Oklahoma and so forth, 164, if it's 164 acres, I can't remember exactly what it is. But if it's, a, if it's that small amount, you cannot successfully farm and make a living wage, as it were, on that amount of land because it's so dry. You cannot grow cattle on it. You cannot do anything. And so within a few years, obviously, these uh, settlers were failing. And what they did is that they sold, they sold it to individuals who were blocking up this land into much larger tracts. Now, these were opportunists. And we see them today, we see them all through history, there's opportunists out there that are willing to, to, to try to deceive you and to giving them what they want at a, at a minimal price. And, of course, that's exactly what happened. Well, that was written up by the New York Times and so forth of the day as a horrible thing. And it, and it was kind of horrible. You know, you see people taking advantage of other people. And so the whole concept of the Homestead Act was basically... Uh, drug through the mud, as it were, and given a bad name. So then they had to increase that to 640 acres, which is a square mile. And that even in the western, far western, west of the west of Rocky Mountains was not enough. And so the, the basic scheme was, now, this is done by Congress, and Congress was influenced by, guess who, the same elite that is in control today. Obviously different generations of the same families, but the same families. 
I mean, this is nothing new what we're experiencing today. They wanted to control the West, not for much of its agricultural capability, although that was one of the reasons, or its forested capability, that was another reason, but for its mineral rights. That concludes this week's episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum with Dr. Michael Kaufman. Tune in next week for more. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Yeah, when I play the hoochie-coochie man, I get joy in everything.